With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At a time when U.S. players are often accused of being naive, soft, and immature, or lacking guile, cunning, and soccer smarts needed, Miazga stepped up with some trash talking that beat Mexico with their own game. And let's be honest, this was a bit of gamesmanship that Rafa Marquez would be proud of. So, we see you, Matt. But now, so does everyone else. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the Miazga meme. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mr. Mossy, how are you today? I am good. Uh, the jersey of choice is a Ronaldinho Barcelona because we are going to be chatting Ronaldinho on this podcast. We are? Good yes. tease. Good tease, buddy. Also, I already banged out the Boca Juniors Netflix documentary this weekend. So th- this is in a now a, a long line of, uh, of behind-the-scenes reality type of hard knocks type of things. Now we've had Man City, we've had Juventus, and now we have a Boca Juniors one. You've seen them all, right? Correct. I love these documentaries. And which one so far is the best one? Do any of them learn from the previous ones? Is, is... No, the, the Boca one was shorter. It was only four episodes, okay. but uh, very good. A lot of cool behind-the-scenes stuff about the club and the fans were amazing. Yeah, going, seeing a game at La Bombonera is like on my bucket list. My parents have gone. They say it's amazing. So, What else did you do this weekend? Anything exciting? Uh, no, I mean, we worked on Bundesliga oh, together. Bundesliga, I love it. I am growing into this league. It's something that I did a few a few games last year, but now I'm doing it on a continual basis, and it's kind of it's kind of fun to be introduced and exposed to a league that I haven't followed closely, and to be educated by the people that have followed it closely, and to form my own ideas about the players and the teams and the history. And what you really find out very very quickly is Bayern Munich. We all know is Bayern Munich, and if you if you separate out Bayern Munich. And, and follow the Bundesliga. It's a it's a it's a league with great parity relative to other leagues. But you got to separate out Bayern Munich, and unfortunately, that's difficult to do because Bayern kind of infects everything that you uh, that you talk about. But certainly, from an American perspective, the amount of American players playing over there gives us something to talk about, and gives something to for for people that might not automatically gravitate towards the Bundesliga, something to grab onto. And whether it's a, a Weston McKinney, whether it's the emergence, hopefully here very shortly, of Josh Sargent, uh, we know about Christian Pulisic and John Brooks and all the players that have been involved with the national team. It's a league that obviously loves American players, and it's fun for me coming to it uh, and being exposed to it and learning it. Uh, but it is early mornings, man. It is, and it wrecks your weekend. I'm not complaining. Believe me, I, this is uh, this is a, a wonderful job, and I'm privileged uh, to do it. But man, it's it's early. Are you used to these early mornings now? I'm used to them, but it, it is rough. You know? All right, let's let's stop complaining about the horrible <laughs> lives that we live. Because there's people out there that are going to work. They're saying, "Hey, I'll trade with you," and uh, I would give my right arm. So don't think that we don't know that we have wonderful, wonderful jobs, and we're very, very fortunate. All right, Moss, let's uh, let's kick this thing off. Uh, ready to light this candle? Yep. All right. As you know, each and every week we kick off the pod with. Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. 
Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And it goes something like this. Thank you, Matt Miazga. Thank you for being the villain that the U.S. men's national team needed. Your on-field overt mocking of Mexico midfielder Diego Lanez's diminutive stature was strategic, effective, and a wonderful injection of theater and personality into a game that sorely needed it. But this was not some kind of Ogie Oglethorpe type of goon action, no. This was part of 180 minutes where Matt Miazga was the best player on the field for the U.S. And at a time when U.S. players are often accused of being naive, soft, and immature, or lacking guile, cunning, and soccer smarts needed, Miazga stepped up with some trash talking that beat Mexico with their own game. Because after the incident, Mexico proceeded to lose control, lose a player, and lose the game. That the Mexican press and fans are crying foul and demonizing Miazga is the height of hypocrisy. Spare us your sanctimony. This is a team that perfected the dark arts long ago. Get your house in order first, on and off the field, before you start to throw stones. And let's be honest, this was a bit of gamesmanship that Rafa Marquez would be proud of. So, we see you, Matt. But now, so does everyone else. And whether it's making fun of an opponent for being short, having fungus on your shower shoes, or sporting a long red goatee, when you bring attention to yourself, you make yourself a target for revenge. And going forward, if you don't continue to back it up on the field, especially when it really matters, you'll get no quarter. The soccer gods giveth and taketh away, and they can have a twisted sense of humor. And make no mistake, Mexico will be back, and next time, it'll be for real. They won't forget you, Matt. Nobody will. All right, Mossy, this moment in the match between the United States and Mexico, a friendly game, but none of them ever are friendly, was basically the talking point in a game that the U.S. team actually won. And there were some positives to take out of it from a soccer perspective. This was the talking point. This was what everybody was talking about. Matt Miazga, center back for the national team, making fun of the height uh, and, I said, the diminutive stature of uh, the midfielder Diego Lanez. Is that what we're calling him now? Correct. Now, 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 I want to make sure that I'm pronouncing it correctly. You're absolutely sure this is how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, so the story there, Lexi, is when we talked about this game on last week's pod, I, I mentioned Linez as a player everybody should look out for, but I uh, mispronounced his last name. I felt bad about it, so I called our producer, Alex Dowd, afterwards, asked him to edit that out, and then Linez becomes the story of the game. So I felt bad about it. I texted Alex. I was hoping he would comfort me. And instead, he said, yeah, you blew it. We, we should have gotten his name in there. Well, Mossy, if, if I asked uh, our, our good friend Alex to edit out every single time that I made a mistake, it would be about a 15-minute podcast <laughs> that we would end up with. But did you think that this was a, as big a deal as people made it out to be? I did not. I had no issue with what Miazga did. Uh, but just to play devil's advocate, mm -hmm. uh, in the wake of the U.S. missing out on the World Cup, there's been a lot of talk that one of the issues with U.S. soccer is an overemphasis on size and athleticism. And my man Sebastian Salazar tried to draw a line between that and this incident. He argued that uh, a U.S. player making fun of another player's height is emblematic of that obsession with size and athleticism. What do you make of that? I think it's a, a ridiculous uh, <laughs> assertion, I, but I love it. I love, look, I love Sebastian. Uh, I don't agree with everything, but there's a lot of people in my life that I don't agree with, but I find them interesting and they are friends with mine. I, I, am, uh, I have the ability to do that. 
others don't. I, I do, which makes me incredible and, and awesome and basically a better human being than everybody else. But when it comes to Sebastian Salazar, it was, it was a hot take. Uh, I made fun of him for, for the take, but you know he's a true believer. It's his, this is what he believes, and he thought it was representative of a, of a bigger problem. He tried to tie the two together. I thought it was a bit, uh, a bit of a reach, but it was really, really interesting. And it just shows that, and I've said this before, I think that this is the best rivalry in international soccer, and I know people will take me to task for that, but because of the proximity of the countries, because of our intertwining of nations, uh, because of now the competitiveness when it comes to soccer, and whether it's the actual national team games, whether it's the competitiveness between Major League Soccer and Liga MX, whether it's the players that Mexico, uh, you know, that are, that are uh, Mexican-American, that Mexico uh, goes and tries to get either for Liga MX or for the national team, or vice versa, it just feeds into this incredible rivalry that, uh, that has existed uh, and continues on. I thought it was wonderful. I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was disrespectful. There is, there is trash talking that goes on in every single sport. I will say this when it comes to soccer. I was thinking about this this morning as, as it relates to trash talking in, in all of sports. We all know that it exists. We all know that there's a line that you don't cross. But we also, also recognize that it, in, a, in, in sports where what can be the difference between winning and losing, what can be the difference between making you great and good sometimes is the mental part of it. You try to gain any advantage that you possibly can. Soccer is a little bit different because of the spaces involved and because of the lack of proximity sometimes that you have to players where where everything slows down and obviously the lack of timeouts and stoppages, it's not as easy to trash talk as it is in, say, a baseball game or a obviously a basketball game or even a football game where there's so many st- where there's so many stoppages. And so it's a little bit more difficult. Plus, you add the international aspect of it and you're having to do it in different languages and so you're having to be real rudimentary in terms of the, 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 the things that you say. He didn't say anything actually in uh, in any type of language. He used the universal sign for being small. He made it very, very clear. This was by design. And as I mentioned in my State of the Union, if this was the only thing that Matt Miaz could, uh, had done, that would be great. We would talk about it and would live long in this pantheon of, of images uh, when it comes to U.S.-Mexico. But the fact that this was, in my estimation, the best player over those two games doing this, I thought that it showed... A, as I said, a little bit of guile. Uh, it showed a, a nuance that oftentimes American players are accused of being too, too nice and not having the underlying understanding of the human element and how to use that to your advantage. And I'm not talking about cheating. I'm talking about getting under a player's skin, which is an art and a skill in, it, in itself. And so that, I think, was fun, especially as we go into this new cycle where you're looking for some personality. You're looking for some leadership. In that moment, I think uh, Matt Miazga stood up and said, not only am I, I going to be a good player, but I can be that villain, and I can antagonize you, and I can get under your skin, and in doing so, I can help my team. Uh, what are some of those lines that you don't cross? Did you have moments in your career where somebody said something to you that you thought, wait a minute, that, that's going too far here. You kind of took a step back. Well, from I mean, I, I think the first one, and this, this is not something that has ever happened to me, but obviously when you're talking about a, uh, you know, a racist type of uh, response. And so the words that you, that you pick and choose are important. Now, making some fun of somebody because he or she is short, making fun of somebody because, you know, obviously my hair and my appearance attracted a lot of, of, of call, uh, you know, of, uh, of antics, whether it was word-based, whether it was gesticular, whatever it ended up being, that, that's all fair game as far, as far as I'm concerned. And if, we, if everything is an offense, 
then, then, then we live in a very strange world and we can't do anything. We can't make eye contact. We can't have any contact with anybody else if everything uh, is, going to be, uh, is going to be an offense. The other part of it was the fact that it was, that it was Mexico given some of these things that we've talked about. So whether it's Rafa Marquez's uh, kicking of Kobe Jones in a World Cup, there's an incident many, many years ago where I got kicked in the nether regions, you know, a full frontal assault to my manhood. Uh, th- these are all part, like I said, of that, of that folklore and the mythology of, uh, of U.S. versus Mexico. But oftentimes it is done from uh, a Mexican side and uh, to to the United States side, and I'm not saying that, that there are any saints on the U.S. team. Believe me, we were not saints. But the more overt, overt and the ones that people talk about that are very, very clear and upfront, oftentimes were associated with the Mexican team. So they know exactly what it, there. There probably is a begrudging respect and an understanding that they can't come out and say when they saw something like this happen because they they. It was a kindred type of spirit. Matt Miazga, Senor Miazga, was wonderful in that moment. They they won't admit it, uh, and they'll scream and yell about that this was uh, you know that this that this was something that was uh, offensive and classless and all the different words that at times we've used when uh, incidents have happened uh, with U.S. Mexico. I think it's wonderful for the game. It gives us something to talk about. It fuels that that incredible rivalry. And once again, as I said. If it's done by somebody who can't back it up from a soccer perspective, then it, 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 it's a completely different context. Yeah, just last thing for me, you mentioned the, the languages. I was going to ask you about that. So does everybody just trash talk in their own language and you just hope the, the other guy understands it? Or, I mean, how does that work? I think that there's a general level of linguistic understanding that every player that plays internationally, <laughs> and even nowadays he plays domestically because there's, you know, there's such an international influx, understands. So you know all the curse words. You know a lot of the phrases that are out there. And this was why Matt Miazgas was so good, because it, it, it didn't need translation. <laughs> the entire world understood what he, what he was doing. And it was, there was an element of humor to it, at least from Matt Miazga's side, and certainly from a U.S. men's national team perspective, uh, perspective side. And immediately it went around; it became viral. But like I said, I don't, I don't look at it at anything else as a player trash talking. As we said, that immediately followed with a red card from Mexico. And by the way, the United States beat Mexico. And I'll just I'll finish it up here because I know this is about trash talking and this is about Matt Miazga. But ultimately, there was a game that was played, and the United States men's national team in 2018 beat Mexico. That is a good thing. That the United States did it in 2018 after coming off a historic and epic failure of not qualifying for the World Cup, there is reason to celebrate. Does this mean the U.S. is winning the World Cup? Does this mean the U.S. is beating Mexico when uh, Hex comes around again? No. But a young, very experienced United States men's national team went out and beat Mexico. Put that in the bank. Enjoy it. Celebrate. Understand what it's worth. And then go on. But so many people after the game were ready to just completely crush this team after they won. Maybe they didn't win in a, in a way that looks progressive or the way that looks evolved. Or maybe they didn't win in a romantic and beautiful way. But you beat your biggest rival in your region and a historic rival. And that's a good thing for young players to hold on to. And it will serve them well going forward. Because I said, whether it's Matt Miazga or anybody else, this is not going to be the last time that they face Mexico. And all these little things will be put into the, uh, the calculator. And next time Matt Miazga steps on the field for the United States playing against Mexico, you're, you better believe that they will remember that moment. And Diego will remember that moment for a long time. And I should say this. He was pretty good. 
he was pretty good throughout the uh, game. So if, if he continues on his trajectory, uh, that battle between the United States and Mexico that features Diego, uh, that's going to be very interesting because he will want revenge. Everybody wants revenge. You do not like to be called out, especially for being short, in front of the world and have it become a viral sensation where everybody is talking about it. And you've now turned him into a one-name guy. He's just Diego. So, I mean, He's I just Diego, that's... yes. Yeah. Uh, and we have the Gold Cup next summer, we should say, so that the next meeting could occur there. It's going to be wonderful. All right, thank you, Matt Miazga. Uh, uh, Godspeed going forward for uh, next time you face uh, Mexico. All right, moving on. Mossy makes the case. Yes, it's time for Mossy Makes the Case, that moment in the pod where uh, David Mossy picks something out of the ether, something that's bothering him, or something that he just wants to talk about, and he has at it. All right, what is your case this week, David? My case is that Liverpool are more unique than ever in this era, given the priorities of their fan base. We're taping this on a Monday. Tomorrow, the Champions League group stage begins. Liverpool are involved in the marquee fixture of match day one. They host PSG. Liverpool, of course, runners up last season. And last week, Jurgen Klopp made it clear they are going to try to win the Champions League this season. That was in response to a suggestion by Gary Neville that they shouldn't expend that much energy in the Champions League. They should put all their eggs in the Premier League basket. Obviously, I think that's ridiculous, and Jurgen Klopp was correct to mock it. But at its root, there's something there that's worth exploring. Liverpool are unique in that their fans would genuinely prefer to win the Premier League rather than the Champions League. Poll after poll backs that up. Uh, the fact that they've won the Champions League, they haven't won the Premier League. It's something that rival fans hit them over the head with. They've won the most European Cups among English clubs, but United have surpassed them in terms of league titles. They haven't won the league since 1990. It's created this obsession with winning the Premier League, while the Champions League is, uh, yeah, that would be great too. That's how every Liverpool fan portrays it to me. And as we've talked about on this podcast, that runs counter in this era of the Super Club to the, the way the wind is blowing. Mm-hmm. I would argue what makes the, the Champions League so exciting right now is how obsessed certain clubs are with winning it. The Man Cities, the Barcelonas, the Bayern Munichs, the PSGs, the Juventus. And here you have Liverpool that, that view it differently. I don't know if it's refreshing, but I think it's somewhat understandable and it's certainly fascinating. I don't know what you make of it. A couple of things. Uh, number one, I think it's reflective of the fact that when you look at the leagues out there, and we talked a little bit about Bundesliga, uh, but really when you look at it in terms of the parity, I think that you have to go to the EPL in that there isn't just this juggernaut at the top. And yes, Man City won, and but you know even a couple of years ago we're seeing Leicester, so there is the opportunity. And so I think that there is a recognition that this is a very competitive environment. And so coming out on top, as opposed to uh, when Bayern Munich does it, it's eh, whatever. We, we, we've done that. We know that that's going to happen. It's much more difficult to predict. I think that's reflected in that. The second thing is when you say. Liverpool fans, okay? In this day and age where Liverpool is an international brand uh, and it has cultivated that brand, and so fans are all over the world. You're telling me that Liverpool fans in Asia or Liverpool fans in North America, you think that they would also rather win the Premiership as opposed to Champions League because it's different for people that, are, that, that, that grew up as Liverpool fans, especially growing up in England or associated very, very closely with England, as opposed to the ones that have come to it later on. That's an interesting point. I don't have a, a sense for that. I might have to circle back and ask our Liverpool fan friends. But I did think it was interesting last week. Arlo White, who I'm a big fan of, NBC Sports, uh, he put a poll on Twitter asking Liverpool fans, would you rather win the Premier League or the Champions League this season? And it was overwhelmingly the Premier League. But then Arlo 
posed that same question to Manchester City fans, which, Arlo, come on, that's a question that's unique to Liverpool fans. There's no debate with Man City. And sure enough, it was like 90-something percent said the Champions League. And frankly, that number was low. It should have been 100%. I know there are some out there that give you this frabba-jabba about how a 38-game season means more than uh, knockout competition. But it's about prestige. City have won three Premier League titles in the last seven seasons. Clearly the next step in the evolution of that club and the big challenge for them is winning the Champions League. So I'd like to meet the Manchester City fan that would look me in the eye and tell me if they could only win one of those this season, they would rather win the Premier League. That's preposterous to me. But with Liverpool, enough fans have told me that. And like I said, I keep seeing the results in these polls where people vote that way. So I, I think well, it's why? a real why? thing. Why, do they, why, why is it so important? It's just it's, they've gone much longer without winning that. And it's something they get, they get mocked about every day. And it's become something of an obsession with them. And, it, and so I, I think they feel that way. Well, I think, okay, so then the, the, the mocking part I can totally get, but that's much more insular. That's much more the streets. You're walking down the streets, right, right, and this yeah. is who you are and, and all that. I get that. But from, from a global pr- – what, what is better – let's say you owned Liverpool. All right, let's, see, let's go to this world where David Mossy is the owner, sole owner. You own all everything, right? Uh, and, and don't think that I didn't hear you say Flabba Jabba uh, again on the podcast. Flabba Jabba. Flabba Jabba, whatever it is. Yep. It should be a drinking game every time you say that. Uh, but let's say you owned Liverpool. And all you cared about is increasing the value of your investment. What is what is more important to you in terms of, or what is more beneficial to you as an owner from a business perspective? I'd say winning the Champions League enhances your brand more, right? It does. I, I mean, I think it enhances it more globally. But if you are thinking locally as opposed to globally, maybe you know it's that feather in your cap that you that you want. But that's. Can, can Liverpool afford to think like that? I don't think... I don't well, think that was Klopp's point. It's like, I'm going to try to win everything that's in front of me. Why, you know, why am I going to pick and choose going into the season with, with that mentality? So he, he thought Neville's point But he's ridiculous. a much more... But he's, he's, a, he's a perfect example. He, the way that he feels about Liverpool, I think it would be very, very different. And the way that he sees Liverpool would be very different than, than others. He is not an interloper, but he is he's much more cosmopolitan, and right, he's right. coming to it as, this is my job, this is a good uh, opportunity, but the romance for him, I, I would think, is much less than for, uh, for others. But do you think that this hurts, then, the way Liverpool is going to approach Champions League? No. They're not going to listen to that. They're not going to listen to that. And let me just say, I, I sent out a tweet uh, this weekend that got a lot of attention. Let me explain it. I said that Liverpool, not only are they going to win the league, but they're going to smash all of Man City's records from last season. I was sitting next to Liverpool fan Zach Kenworthy in the Fox control room. Mm-hmm. We were watching the Tottenham-Liverpool game together. And you know, Zach is one of those guys that if you praise Liverpool, he gets very uncomfortable. He thinks you're jinxing right. them. So I kind of sent out that tweet just to annoy them. It was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I will say I am kind of leaning towards thinking Liverpool are going to win the league this season. I think it's going to be a great race with City, and I think you have to throw Chelsea in there too. But I just have you a feeling— You think they're deep enough? I, yeah, I just have a feeling this is their year. The stars but you think are they're deep enough? Yes. A couple I, injuries here or there, especially to, up top, you're okay with that. You have no problem, they'll uh, deal with it. Yeah, I think if I had to pick right now, I'd pick Liverpool to win the Premier League this season. That's my Ooh. hot take. And as far as the Champions League, by the way, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Get Do you think that Liverpool has any week. chance? I think they're one of the contenders, but they're... Really? I, I, yeah. You don't think I, they punched above their weight last year and they come down to... No, I think if, if you made a list of like six or seven teams, I'd throw them in there. I'm, I'm sort of... This could change, but I'm sort of leaning towards Bayern as my pick to win it. Uh, Why? But, well, I thought they were the best team last year. They were desperately unlucky to lose to Real Madrid. And, and you, know, we, you know, the big overriding storyline here is, is you don't have the specter of Real Madrid as much anymore. I don't think they can win it without Ronaldo. 
Uh, it'd be interesting to see if Ronaldo can get Juventus to the promised land. So, But I think the doors open a little bit, and Bayern were sort of that next team in waiting that I think should have won it last season. And, you know, they, they seem to be enjoying playing under Niko Kovac. Some of those older guys have been rejuvenated, so I kind of like what I've seen. But that's not a strong, like I said, I, I right. mean, the other team, Barcelona, right there, too. I mean, it's 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 tough to pick this season. Uh, so let me ask you this question, then. Uh, well, let's end it on this, because we talked about the attitude of pundits. We talked about the attitude of fans. We talked about the attitude of the coach, uh, Jurgen Klopp. Ultimately, the players are the ones that are kicking the ball around. If you think, if you gave a choice to the players right now on Liverpool, what would they would what they would rather win? Especially after going through what they went through last year. Which what do you think that they would say? It's a tricky one. I mean, I think living in that city every day, you probably get indoctrinated a little bit into that way of thinking about the Premier League. But I think push comes to shove, most of them would probably say the Champions League. Yeah, you think? Yeah. I mean, and I'm looking down the, the list here. I mean, how many starters do they have that are actually English? And once again, it gets back to that internal <laughs> feeling and, and romance that might be lost on players that are much more mercenary coming in. So there's 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 certainly some that Miller, are... Miller, Trent Alexander, Henderson, oh yeah, okay. guy, Henderson. Uh, Those types of players. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, it's going to be interesting to see if Jurgen Klopp and co. do start to prioritize as we have seen and this this whole prioritization thing of of clubs i don't i don't remember this ever being a big thing in the past everyone and once again grumpy old old guys gonna <laughs> rear his uh, ugly red head here in that the sports science that exists the recuperative abilities that exist the comforts creature comforts that exist uh now are so much more advanced than back then i recognize that there are more games and more competitions but I, th- I think it cheapens what we're doing, and you have to ask yourself, why are we doing this if teams that are there for our entertainment are being asked to prioritize uh, the, the tournaments that they're in? Anything before I, before I head out? Is that good? You got it? No, no. Nothing? You don't want to add anything else? Well, it's yeah, a whole other subject, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you want to finish that, something? Uh, Gary Neville's point was Liverpool's style of play is so physically taxing, and ah, he doesn't think they have the depth. So that would be the explanation of why a team maybe would prioritize a competition over another. But I agree with you. I don't like it. I think you should try to win everything you're in. Just suck it up and figure <laughs> it out. All right. Famous last words. Right. All right. Moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for our Ask Alexi segment, that uh, portion of the show where we answer questions or respond to comments out there that you have tagged with the Ask Alexi hashtag. But use the Ask Alexi hashtag, and who knows? In the future, maybe David Mossy, as he's about to do, will read one of your tweets or comments out there on Facebook or Twitter that have used the Ask Alexi hashtag uh, like this. All right, Mossy, what do the people want to know today? Or what are they screaming and yelling about? First up, at Volkswagen, how far away are we from a Josh Sargent takeover at Bremen? Well, we thought, uh, we mentioned we were working Bundesliga this weekend, and after the international break where he was held back from going to play with the U.S. men's national team on two big games with both uh, Brazil and Mexico, uh, they obviously worked something out because they they are fast-tracking him to the first team. And this is a guy, and I know we're biased because he's an American and and he scores goals and we want him to be up there, but this is a guy, keep in mind, that has done everything that has been asked of him. Okay, uh, he scored goals playing down at the lower level. He's been brought up, and over the last couple of weeks with the friendlies that Werder Bremen played, he scored and assisted. Uh, so, I, I don't think we're far away. The next big hurdle, and we'll see next week. We thought it was going to be this weekend, but it wasn't, unfortunately. The next big thing is to have him on the 18, uh, because then there's the potential, the possibility is there for him to actually step on the field. Now, the, the good thing I think is that when it comes to 
the team that he's playing for, yes, he's a goal scorer, and yes, he might be a better uh, option up there. But he's not being asked to come in and play the hero. He's not being asked to come in and shoulder everything when it comes to this team. That is a good thing because he's already going to be enough under enough pressure. He's already going to be uh, scrutinized enough both domestically and internationally from all of us uh, around that are looking in and curious about an American player who scores goals. So they are, I think they're managing this very, very well for a young player who is inexperienced. But all of that is to say, I, I hope he's in the 18 next uh, next week. And that he wasn't in the 18 this weekend, I think was surprising to a lot of us, but they're going to bring him along uh, slow. Are you excited to see Young Josh Sargent? I can't wait. I think he's going to do very well there. I was going to use this on the weekend uh, because I had talked to Tab Ramos, friend, wonderful coach, U.S. soccer legend. We did our uh, top 10 last week, uh, and he was number two for me right behind Landon Donovan. And uh, I was talking to him about Josh Sargent. Because for some, because he didn't play in MLS, and although he was with the the national team at times, he's still kind of a figment out there of our imagination, and we have these... Uh, these images of him. And I, you know, I asked him about Josh Sargent and he told me that, and he was almost reticent to answer because he he was, he was saying, I don't want to pump him up, but, but I feel like I have to pump him up. He's that good. And he even compared him at a time to Brian McBride. He's not a, 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 an imposing type of figure, but in a very, in very short order at a young age, he's, he's learned to use his body in a way that I think makes a lot of people really, really excited and salivate at the possibility of having someone up there who understands how to use his body, understands how to hold the ball, understands how to turn with the ball, can be an outlet, uh, and obviously puts the ball in the back of the net. Uh, great finisher and uh, surprisingly good passer. So it's not just about scoring. He's just a smart, smart player. So I think a lot of us on this side of the uh, Atlanta and a lot of people over there are going to be excited to see if and when this happens. And I hope it comes next week. Uh, I don't know who they're playing, but uh, whoever it is, I hope he's in the 18. And and Pulisic is back for Dortmund's Champions League game against Club Bruges, uh, I've been told by our producers, or maybe? I hope so. Uh, well, I it's in we... the rundown, so it must be true. If I know we're only three rounds in the season, but if anybody's going to challenge Bayern, it's going to be Pulisic and Dortmund, because I think the likes of Leverkusen and Schalke are off the case already. This guy's name, that guy's name was Folks. Wagen, right? With an F. I said Wagen, but it's a question about Germany, so it might be Wagen. Right? Okay, whatever. Yeah. Clever, um, I get it. I get it. Folks, okay. Got uh, it. Next up, <laughs> at AFCB910. That's definitely not their real name. Yep. Next marquee star to sign an MLS. As a Revs fan, I'm getting my hopes up. LOL. That means laugh out loud, Alexa. It does. Okay. That's not an emoji, though. That's a, 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 a just a thing that the kids use, right? I am not laughing out loud. I'm just trying to think of who that would be. So you have your your batch of, let's say, returning U.S. players or, or U.S. national team players that are then going to go to specific teams that have dibs or first dibs on that. And so then, you know, last, last summer we were talking about possibly Bobby Wood uh, coming back. I could still see that happening. You know, he's still going to struggle to score goals, uh, still hasn't really done well, although he did was able to hook on and continue on in the Bundesliga. That type of thing is going to be interesting. The, the big marquee signings out there, what have we seen recently? Uh, Griezmann, who's talked about Miami. I think when that Miami club gets up and running, I know they're up and running, but when they're actually out there signing players and really looking to bring players in, that's what's going to be interesting because you attach that David Beckham name to it and you got to bring it. you got to bring it on and off the field and you got to bring the excitement. you got to spend money. And you got to bring names. 
And there's not going to be a shortage of players that want to come and live in Miami and play for David Beckham's team. But it's, it's, it's not about the players. It's about the right players. And so if you're having uh, someone like a Griezmann uh, coming, I don't think it's happening for a while. So I, don't, I wouldn't hold my breath for him. But I can't think of a, of a specific name out there right now, and, and a big name, that's coming to the end of their career that you would want to have. I mean, it's, it's limited when it comes to the pool of big-name players that you would say yes. I mean, so, for example, if and when Sergio Ramos starts to, to wind down, I mean, we saw what defenders, Nesta and stuff like that, I think it's much more difficult for a defensive-type player to finish out their career or come in the later stages of their career to MLS than it is for others because you can hide as a midfielder. You can hide as a forward. You cannot hide as a defender. And you are facing some very, very fast and young type of players when you are uh, when you're defending. And uh, as opposed to a, and I'm not using, you know, Wayne Rooney has been wonderful, but if you're a Wayne Rooney, if you're not there for 89 minutes and then you pop up and score a goal, everyone's going to clap. And we know it's, it's just the nature of the business. As a defender, you can be great for 89 minutes, and that's that one time when some 19-year-old speed demon runs by you and, and you're in trouble. So I would love to see Griezmann at a certain point, and he has at least talked about it, and that's a good message to send out, not just for him, but for the message that it sends out to, uh, to others going forward. Mario, Super Mario, maybe him. I don't know. There you go. All right, Alexi, what else? We end with a special Ask Mossy question. Oh, okay. Uh, at Caleb Poland simply asks, Ronaldinho eighth? Uh, oh, I know what they're referring to in here. In reference to Friday on Twitter, I posted a top 10 Brazilian players of all time. Let me address that here. Uh, you knew that you were going to come in for some heat with this, right? Absolutely. Okay. And, for, and just, uh, I want to make sure that I preface this because not everybody heard it or saw, saw it, but obviously it was on the back of me giving my top 10 field players. You, you, did you also have a criteria where you limited it to field players? Yeah, with Has Brazil, Brazil, a Brazil, it's not really an issue. <laughs> I, I jokingly said I was excluding goalkeepers. Excluding, goal, excluding goalkeepers. Um, but the other thing that you did is that you incorporated players. That I was you, about to, if you get out of the way, I can speak. All right, sorry. Um, okay, fine. I, well, I, I, I tried to set it up for you, but evidently you want to take all this. Well, go ahead. You have the floor, well, Marcy, first off, let me, me say the list because not everybody all follows All right, go ahead. Well, so I was, was going to do that for you, but you go ahead. <laughs> number 10, Gigi. Number 9, Rivaldo. Whoa, number wait, eight. wait, what's number 10? Hold on. Uh, this is going to be a mixture of authentic Brazilian pronunciation and Americanized. Well, do it so I can understand what the hell you're saying. So number, number 10, 10 was what? GG. DD, I guess, to, to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, DD. Nine, Rivaldo. Eight, Ronaldinho. Seven, Zico. Six, Rivellino. Five, Tostão. Four, Romario. Three, Ronaldo. Two, Gahincha. And one, Pelé. First off... Where was Ronaldinho? Uh, seven? Eighth. Eighth? Well, hence the question. Uh, Caleb Pullen asks, Ronaldinho Eighth? So first off, uh, our former boss, John T. Whitehead, uh, raised this issue of, of my including players that were before my time. I think when, when you do a U.S. top 10 list, it's easier to avoid that. I think with Brazil, the history is such that if you're not going to do that, it's almost like, what's the point? It's like doing a Yankees top 10 list and not including Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. All I can say there is I'm, I'm a big history buff. I'm a student of the game. I, I did my research. I know all the facts about these players' careers. I've seen loads of footage. I have a whole collection in my house of tapes of Brazil World Cup games going back to 1958. And I'll admit, I rely a lot on the opinion of my dad when it comes to history stuff. He's shaped a lot of my 
uh, views about the history of the game. So that's all I can say there. But yeah, as far as the Ronaldinho thing, that seemed to be the, by far the most controversial aspect of this list. Listen, you can definitely make a case for him being higher. Different versions I, I was putting together, he was higher on the list. Uh, I don't need anybody to tell me how great Ronaldinho is. The week that he retired, I did a whole thing on this pod about his legacy and how history is going to remember him fondly. I mean, this guy had like three years there where he played at like a Pele Maradona level and was legitimately getting like greatest player of all time buzz. His highlight film is amazing. His resume, he's like a select. But he doesn't even make your top he's five. He's one of the select few players to win a World Cup, oh, a UEFA Champions League, a Copa Libertadores. But here's the issue. This was club and country, but with a heavy emphasis on country. And uh, non-Brazilians uh, might not have a feel for this, but believe me, every Brazilian right now is nodding his head. Ronaldinho had a sneaky, disappointing national team career. He played well in 2002 as a complimentary figure. Rivaldo and Ronaldo were the stars of that team that won the World Cup. And then it was not much else after that. that. That cycle leading up to the 2006 World Cup when he ascended to the best player in the world, um, he could never produce his Barcelona form for Brazil. It drove Brazilians crazy. And it culminated so with... It, it, was very, it was very messy. like, And it culminated with him being this giant flop at the 2002 World Cup. And then that was it. After the age of 26, Ronaldinho never played another senior international tournament for Brazil. Not a World Cup, not a Copa America, not a Confederations Cup. The only thing he played after that was the Olympics in 2008, and he was terrible. Brazil got thumped by Argentina in the semifinals. And so Brazilians actually have somewhat complicated feelings about Ronaldinho that I think non-Brazilians don't have a, as good a sense for. So actually, you mentioned I got crushed. The reaction from Brazilians on Twitter was mostly positive, just some minor quibbling here and there. But it was the non-Brazilians that had a big issue with the Ronaldinho thing because I think they put more stock in the Barcelona stuff. And so that, that's the only thing I can say about that. But listen, I'm wearing the guy's jersey today. I, I have his Brazil jersey as well as Fluminense jersey. I love the guy for about two, three years there. The most fun in my life was watching him play at Barcelona every week. So, uh, I mean, I, I yield to nobody in my love of Ronaldinho, but uh, I'll stand by this ranking. It's not like I put schlubs above him. We're logging Pelé, Gahinsha, Zico, Ronaldo. I mean, Brazil, it's tough. You know, it's a tough list, you know, so. Yeah, but how many, how many of those players were playing before you were even born? The list was about a mixture, half and half. Right. So I didn't have a single player on my list. And I know it's a little different for the U.S. team, but I didn't have a single player that didn't impact me. Okay, so when you talk about Babe Ruth and stuff like that, mm -hmm. we can all say that they were great players, okay? But when, if I'm doing a list, I want it to reflect players that impacted me. The fact is that there are players on my list right now, Eric Winaldas and stuff like that, that for generations, next generation, they're not going to care. They shouldn't be on their list. And it's not that you don't have respect and you, you can't revere somebody from the past for what they did. But when you are putting your best players... It's generational. It's it's the people that impacted you, and I and I appreciate the fact that you talked about how your dad has influenced you. But but ultimately, it's difficult, I think, for a player from a previous era to have the type of impact that players that you see playing, that you've that you've watched play, that have impacted you, especially nowadays with with all the media that we get, and whether it's video games uh, or, or or highlights and stuff like that. It's, it's of your own generation that really makes the most impact. Everything else is just kind of stuff that you've read. But if you're going to do that, then you should frame it as these are the best players No, why should you generation. frame it like that? Because I think if you say all time and then only include players from your generation, you're acting like the only thing that matters it's in the history of the world. It's your time. It's my time. But that's not all time. But it's my time. It's all <laughs> of my time. That's all I care about is my time. If you have impacted it. You know, Pele impacted me to a certain extent because I knew he was the greatest player in the world. That's what I was told from an, from an early age. Never saw him play. Even when in the NASL, I never, I never saw him play. But uh, someone like, uh, like Tony Miola or something like that, 
impacted me much more so than Pele. And if there was an equivalent of, you know, who's your second and third out there? Uh, Gahinsha was number Ga- two. I'm not, I'm not pronouncing it like that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Gahinsha. All right, Gahinsha. And what was the DD one? Number 10, Jijia. It's, it's, there's there's no D even in it. It's, Best player in the 1958 World Cup. How did, what, what did he have any impact in your life? How is that possible that DD or Gigi or whatever the hell we're calling the guy uh, had any impact yeah, on your life? It's a fair point. I don't agree, though. I was a history major in college. I'm a strong believer that you, I'm you not can, you saying have, that history isn't important. You can have I'm a view of the world can't. that extends beyond what, what you experienced. All right. All right. Uh, anything else? Uh, if you feel that I'll you've... Tell you, John T. Whitehead gets almost as many mentions as Keith Costigan on this it's, podcast. It's incredible. Now. He's just a recurring uh, character in this uh, in this podcast. Anything else to add, Mossy, about uh, no, that? No, that is it. That's it. All right. Let's move on to... The Back Three. Yep. It's time for our Back Three, where we look at some big stories, some games, and moments that have happened over the last week. Uh, Mossy, what are we talking about here in our Back Three? All right, first up, it was an eventful weekend for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He scored his 500th career goal for club and country, and he did it with one of the best goals I've ever seen in my life. But trash-talking a big theme on today's podcast, he also got into a whole thing with Michael Bradley. So what did you make of all that, the goal, the trash-talking? Okay, so first let's look at the goal. You, you said it's one of the best you've ever seen in your life, and I concur. I think it's, it's, it's one of the greatest goals scored of all time. My time. <laughs> but... Do you think that it is lessened? Do you think it is diluted? Do you think it is, I hesitate to use this word, cheapened because he did it in MLS in terms of the way that people around the world see it? Because everybody around the world has seen it. But do you think after they see it, it goes, yeah, it's an incredible goal. But then a little part of them goes, ah, but it was in MLS. It shouldn't because it's not the type of goal where the op- level of opposition mattered. I mean, there's goals where you dribble past a bunch of defenders where people can say if they have their biases against MLS, well, a Premier League caliber defender would have... But this goal was just this incredible piece of acrobatic skill that, I mean, that goal could have happened anywhere. I don't know what the level of op- opposition would have, why, are, you, are people saying differently? No, no, I, I, I'm just thinking of human nature. And I'm thinking that there is, there is inevitably going to be a, uh, a reaction to it where clap, clap, it's wonderful, it's great, but it's being done in MLS. And as you said, I, 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 that, that could happen anywhere. But that it happened in MLS, I think, is going, to, is going to lessen it. Had he done this this weekend playing for Manchester United, okay, or any other teams that he has played for, it would, it would have—it's already in the pantheon. It's already up there. But it would have been elevated to a level that I don't think it's going to get to because it was done in MLS. And that's, that's, that's not right or wrong. I think that's just, like I said, I think that that's just human nature and the way that we view different leagues. Again, we were talking about this uh, in the control room this past weekend. I said to you, if you make like a Zlatan top 10 greatest goals, I'm not sure there's another player in the history of the game that can match that. I mean, from the bicycle kick against England, that goal against uh, for Ajax where he dribbled past like five guys in the box, this, I mean, it, he's just scored some <laughs> unbelievable goals. Just, the just in the time he's been here, he's already scored two of the greatest <laughs> goals in Major League Soccer history in one season for one team and he's done it twice it's pretty incredible and he followed it up as only Zlatan uh, can with a spat with U.S. men's national teamer and uh, captain of Toronto FC uh, Michael Bradley uh, going back and forth do we have the quote do we know exactly what he said because it was uh, it was pretty amazing in the in the way it was so Zlatan right the gist of it was Michael Bradley's a philosopher and I have more goals and he has games 
Yes. I don't know if that is true, but when Zlatan says something, it's, uh, people take it as, as, the, <laughs> as, as the truth. But it was fun. It was, it was great to see it. Michael Bradley gets the last laugh because Zlatan Ibrahimovic is playing for a team that is absolutely atrocious when it comes to defending. And while this goal has, was scored, it was scored in yet another loss in another game where the defense in particular for the Los Angeles Galaxy was porous to say the least. And that he fought with Michael Bradley uh, after the game just is fun to, uh, to be able to talk about. Um, because of what Michael Bradley is, especially in the context of what Michael Bradley is in this moment and the way that people look at Michael Bradley. It was, it was fun to see. I don't think Michael Bradley's losing any sleep over it. Uh, I certainly don't think that Zlatan is losing any sleep, uh, any sleep over it. And ultimately, Toronto's trying to make the playoffs. Los Angeles is trying to make the playoffs. There's a good chance that when this is all said and done, both Michael Bradley and Toronto and Zlatan and the Los Angeles Galaxy will not make the playoffs. And we will remember the great goals that Zlatan scored. But ultimately, he's got to figure out a way to get this team. Well, he doesn't have to figure Well, to a certain extent, he does have to figure it out. I'll be really interested if and when they don't make the playoffs, the changes that are made and how much, as I said last week, how much input Zlatan has uh, going forward. Because a great goal and a historic goal for Zlatan is an occurrence that happens all the time. But playing on a team that sucks, that doesn't happen often for Zlatan. And so things are going to are going to have to change next year. And I think he's going to demand changes, both in terms of the personnel that's surrounding him and helping him, and probably who's coaching going forward. Now, you said Zlatan got into a spat with Michael Bradley. Speaking of spat, uh, Juventus this past weekend, first the good. They beat Sassuolo 2-1, and Ronaldo got his first two goals for the club, uh, which he admitted afterwards he was very tense about not scoring. So it was a big relief to finally uh, open his account for them. But the negative in this game was Douglas Costa sent off for spitting in the face of an opponent. I know you have very strong feelings about this. I'll let you uh, First unload. Off, uh, and and uh, just uh, once again, you're the uh, incredible researcher. Who does Douglas Costa play for? Where's he from? Internationally? Yeah. Uh, Brazil. Brazil. But did That's not right. make my list. That's right. He did, he that would have been awkward. Had he, he did not make your list. And certainly <laughs> after his... Uh, his actions over the weekend, he would not be making anybody's list. Yes. So he spat directly into not just the face, but what looked like into the mouth of an opponent. It was disgusting. Uh, as I've said uh, numerous times, and I will repeat it, there is, there is nothing more vile and despicable and cowardly than spitting at an opponent. And I would much rather that you just punch me in the face than you spit at me. That's how I feel about this action. I think it is the, it is the lowest form uh, that you can take in terms of on the, on the sports field, or, or, or in general, I mean, by the way, in public, t- in public too, but when I see it each and every time, it just makes my blood boil. I think, this, when, I'm, when I'm president of FIFA, that's what I'm going to do. You, you have carte blanche if you're spat on to react in whatever uh, way you feel is necessary, and you will be given amnesty. So the player, I, I can't remember who the player was that got spat upon, but he or she, whatever it ends up being in, in whatever case it is, I give you carte blanche to do whatever you want after that happens because I find it so despicable. Are we sure it was Douglas Costa that spat on him? Because if you look at the Sassuolo player's head, it went back <laughs> and to the left, back <laughs> and to the left. Oh, my goodness. You, 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 you watched a lot of Seinfeld growing up, didn't you? Is yes. it your favorite show and, ever? And, 
Favorite show ever, right. and that is my favorite episode ever. Favorite the Keith episode Hernandez ever. episode where uh, Kramer and Newman uh, believe all these years that Keith Hernandez spat on them, but right. it was actually Roger McDowell behind the gravelly road. Well, there is no doubt in anybody's mind that Douglas Costa <laughs> spat uh, on the on the opponent. And uh, I don't know what the sanctions are going to be. I hope that it is multiple games, and I hope he gets the ridicule and the scorn heaped upon him that he deserves. Now, I'm only going to to, to, to end this with... I don't know why he spat upon the opponent, and there's a million different reasons as to why this could possibly happen. I'm sure at some point it will come out as to what the reason is. It better be a damn good reason. <laughs> and even then, I just think, just hit him. Just, just, just hit him. Don't spit. That's just, that's disgusting, and that's, uh, ugh. Are you okay? Would you rather be hit or spat upon? I think I'd rather be hit. Really? There's a lot of people when I put that out there that said, no, I would rather take the hit. Spit, you wipe it off your face, you go on with your life. Nah, that's gross. It, well, it's, it's, spit, uh, I understand that it's gross, but... No, no, I'm with you. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, okay. I'd rather so, be hit. Well, let, well, hit us up. If you would rather be hit in the face as opposed to spit in the face, I'd be interested to hear where people fall down on, uh, on, on what side they fall down on that. Spit in your face or hit Interesting in the Interesting poll question. Your poll question. There we go for next, for next week. Um, We're getting to the, <laughs> the, the heart of the matter here. All right, we'll end on this, a little uh, European roundup from the weekend. We mentioned uh, already Liverpool, five wins out of five, looking great in the Premier League. Chelsea also with five wins out of five. They're actually ahead of Liverpool on goal difference. They beat Cardiff 4-1 this past weekend. Eden Hazard with a hat trick. He is the top scorer in the Premier League with five goals. I know you're a big fan of his, and uh, coming off a great World Cup, he looks primed on their Maritza side. to have a great season, huh? They are flying right now, uh, and and... Over the last couple of years, because of the high-profile coaching and because of the high-profile players and the money and stuff involved with other teams, Chelsea has perfected this way of kind of operating under the radar. And then you turn around and go, oh, wow, they're, they're, they're winning, and uh, nobody was talking about them. Uh, I think it's going to be fun, the, the whole EPL season, to see this, this back and forth. You, you're already picking Liverpool to win the EPL, right? Correct. Spurs, do you think they get top four? Because I know a lot of people are talking about Spurs, not just because they are a popular team, but because of the fact that they made absolutely no changes and that they stood pat. They said, this is a great team. That hasn't quite worked out, at least in the early days so far. Do you think they finished top four? No, I think I went with uh, Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and United, and I'm going to stick with that top four. I think the two North London clubs miss out, Tottenham and Arsenal. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. And Jose Mourinho, is he back? Everything's fine? Everything's Back uh, on track, never a doubt. Right. So he played us all, or he, yes. or he just was the, you know, the ultimate puppet master in terms of deflection, and he took it all upon himself at a time when he knew that it would be direct on his players, and once again, he is just this incredible uh, It figure. appears that way. Yeah. It appears that way. Until Christmas, or, or uh, until the next big blow-up. Now, right? I do want to get this in, staying in England, but dropping down a division. Oh, my uh, God. Jack we, are, we are in the weeds. What? Jack Harrison. Jack Harrison, formerly of... Uh, NYCFC. NYFC fame, yep. Uh, late equalizer for Leeds against Millwall, and that means Leeds remain unbeaten through seven rounds. First place in the championship. That is Marcelo Bielsa managed Leeds. I am one of these Marcelo Bielsa groupies. Disciples. They call them disciples. Yes. Now, awesome. the book on Bielsa is that his teams tire out over the course of the season sure. because of his style, and, and the championship is unforgiving. It's 46 rounds. So, uh, But it'd be a great story. Uh, Keith Costigan's father is actually a big Leeds fan, so it'd be great to see them go up just for him. Well, Leeds is, is such a wonderful case study because growing up in uh, in the Midwest in the 70s and 80s uh, and not being exposed to a lot of soccer, obviously growing up in the United States and, and what was not a, um, a, a soccer-based culture, 
and, and certainly not at a time where we got so much information. Leeds was one of those brands early on that was in the forefront of being a global brand. And the whole Leeds crest and the Umbro Association and all that, for, for a young kid growing up playing soccer and trying to find whatever fanzine or magazine out there to, to talk about soccer and getting sporadic type of uh, TV coverage, Leeds was something that cut through. And it's a wonderful case study in how you have this great brand that went away. It didn't go away, but it certainly fell off and everybody else uh, came in and took their place. But to see Leeds rise again for someone who has really no connection to it other than that was the brand that broke through and resonated the most. And if you, could have done, if you, if you were able to do that in the 70s and 80s, that was, a, that was a feat in itself given the lack of communication and the lack of integration that the world had there. The world was much bigger in a sense. It would be wonderful to see them resurrected, if you will, that once great brand. Last thing for me, uh, staying with uh, Argentinian managers, but uh, skipping over to Spain. Atletico Madrid, I was very high on them this season, and they seem to confirm that optimism by beating Real Madrid in the UEFA Super Cup. Uh, but awful start in La Liga. They drew Ibar this past weekend. They have only one win in four games, only three goals in four games. And there's starting to be some real criticism of Simeone and people saying, look, you now have a squad that's capable of more than this. Why does everything have to be a struggle and nil-nil and one-nil every week? You know, you've got Costa there for a full season and Griezmann and Thomas Lamar and Coque and Saul and Jelson Martins and Angel Correa. And we went and we added all these players, spent some money, and it, it's still not coming together. They're still kind of this, you know, conservative sort of grind it out type of team. And he's now making excuses, talking about how, well, we don't have the money to compete against Real Madrid and Barcelona. He's never gone there before. He's starting to feel the heat a little bit and feeling the need to bring that up. So I'm wondering about Simeone, where he's at right now. So you now. think hashtag Simeone out or what? You know, I'm looking at Inter. They're struggling terribly in Syria. Uh, they lost to Parma this weekend. If they have a bad season, Spalletti leaves, Atletico have a bad season. The stars might be aligning there for that reunion that everybody's been talking about. Inter, for... Inter who's Inter in Champions League with? Are they? Uh, are uh, they they are in the, the, the mega group with Barcelona, uh, Tottenham, and PSV. So uh, that's going to be something. Well, there might be an opening there. It might, it might have run its course. I mean, and if it did, you still have to step back and say, yeah. Simeone, wow, well, that's, that's, that's pretty incredible. Maybe he needs a change of scenery. He's been talking about possibly changing scenery, and we've always talked about him going. Maybe it's going to be uh, forced out just because of the uh, results. But anyway, Griezmann's going to Miami anyway, so that whole team's going to be broken up uh, in the near future uh, anyway. Anything else? That is it. Uh, that is it. So we have come to the end of yet another uh, podcast here. And at the end, as always, we do our one big thing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I extolled the virtues of the uh, men and women that work behind the scenes for us uh, in the form of Alex and Francis. It has come to my attention and our attention here that we are losing one of them. Francis. Francis is going. Francis is moving on to another, uh, what has to be said, is probably a bigger and better opportunity. And certainly, uh, it, you can only go up from uh, being in this room with us. Uh, we wish her all the best. We thank her for everything that she has done behind the scenes. There will be a new Francis coming in here. We don't know who uh, that person is going to be, but they are going to have very, very big shoes to fill for all the work that she has done and all the help that she has given. Uh, for those of you that don't know Frances Silva, she uh, has played so many different roles, both from a technical side in terms of how we put this podcast on, the audio part of it, the video part of it, uh, also much of the editing. So when I say things, if they come out semi-coherent and articulate, you know that there's a good chance that Francis is behind the words that have been uh, laid out for me to say. And I want to thank her for all the work that she has done. I want to wish her all the luck in the world uh, going forward. As we mention each and every time, 
There are so many people that help us uh, with the greatest jobs in the world that we do. We appreciate each and every one of them for what they do. Uh, Onward and upward, Francis. Thank you so much. We will see you again next week. Thanks for tuning in to the State of the Union podcast. Thanks, Mossy. You're welcome. Oh, that was beautiful. All right, size the day. 